Hello, and welcome to The Promise of Discovery, a podcast where members and investigators at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center talk about their research in intellectual and developmental disabilities. Well, hello. Uh, This is Jeff Newell, the director of the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center. And today I'm here talking uh, with Carrie Fu, um, who is the medical director of the Vanderbilt uh, Rett Syndrome Clinic, which is recognized as a clinic of excellence by the International Rett Syndrome Foundation and a child neurologist. Um, So hello there, Carrie. Hi, Jeff. It's uh, really... Appreciate uh, you having me on today. It's a, a pleasure to be here. Um, so I'm uh, Carrie Fu. I'm a, an uh, assistant professor in the Division of Pediatric Neurology here, and uh, as you say, a medical director of our Rett Syndrome Clinic. And um, it uh, it's it's great to be on. Excellent. Um, you know, today we wanted to talk a little bit about um, the recent uh, report from. Um, Uh, a company, Acadia, uh, about the lavender trial, which was a phase three trial for a drug called trofinitide in Rett syndrome. Um, But before we get into that, I think there's a number of things that would be useful to talk about. I mean, first of all, I'd like to know a little about you um, and how you started getting involved in this work that you've been doing. So when did you first start becoming interested in being a child neurologist and then potentially working on neurodevelopmental disorders such as Rett syndrome. Oh, wow. You want the, uh, the long-winded version or the more direct version? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, well, <laughs> I think child neurology really, I think for me, goes back way back to, to really uh, med school and just some of the mentors I had at that time. And just, I think the, the fascinating interplay of, you know, the, the intersection of, of, the human nervous system and neurological pathology with with just the pediatric domain is really what drew me in. And um, as far as Rett syndrome, I'd have to say it was really um, during my child neurology residency uh, where I uh, had the privilege of working with, you know, Alan Percy, you know, who was one of the pioneers of uh, Rett clinical research here in the U.S., who uh, introduced me uh, to these girls um, in, in some of his clinics. And I think it was just I was just really taken by um, how engaging they are, and I kind of, and, and how different they were in person compared to you know what what I had, uh, you know my preconceived notions just from what I had read in med school and, and learned early on in residency, and so that's really, you know I think when uh, when I first uh, really uh, became. Uh, interested in, in wanting to work more uh, with uh, with you know this uh, rare disease, you know neurodevelopmental disorders, and in particular Rett syndrome. And then after coming to Vanderbilt to do my uh, epilepsy fellowship, I finished that. And then you know I met um, as you know uh, Dr. Peters here, who then you know I started working on the Rett syndrome uh, natural history study and related disorders natural history study. And then I think um, it's just kind of um, spiraled uh, in a good way from there uh, to, to where I've you know gotten to work much more with with uh, the group and, and the consortium since then. 
Well, great. And so I think, you know, probably, especially for our listeners who may not be familiar, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what, what Rett syndrome is and what, what, who does it affect and what causes it and what kind of things do we see in people who have this disorder? Yeah. So I, it's a, you know, it's a very, it's, it's very well clinically described and uh, it's a disorder that primarily uh, affects uh, girls and women. And uh, it's a, so, you know, it's classified as a genetic uh, progressive uh, neurodevelopmental disorder. And roughly, you know, we estimate one in 10,000, probably more than that, realistically, as we're you know, doing more and more gene sequencing. But, uh, you know, you read in the books about one in 10,000 uh, girls are, are, are born with it. And, um, you know, from a neurodevelopmental perspective, it's quite fascinating because uh, they're essentially uh, no different. Uh, they're, they're typically developing, you know, up until uh, around a year, year and a half of age when, um, you know, you start to see some, some amount of uh, neurodevelopmental stagnation. And then after that, about a year and a half to two years is when you really see these core features come out of uh, loss of previously acquired hand skills, um, impaired ambulation ability, um, the children will develop the very, uh, the, the, the stereotypical hand, uh, purposeless uh, hand movements, the so-called hand stereotypies. And then there are also a lot of other uh, features that uh, we'll see, including um, the, uh, the the breathing irregularities, the, the hyperventilation and, and, and breath holding that uh, that goes along with it. And then uh, frequently they will develop uh, epilepsy uh, a little bit later in childhood. And it's all uh, as a result of uh, mutations in the uh, uh, MECP2 gene, uh, which is located on the X chromosome and is a very uh, important gene. Um, as we've learned, uh, for uh, uh, maintaining uh, neurodevelopment, and it's sort of a you know master regulator, right, of of uh, switching hundreds of different genes on, switching hundreds off, and uh, and so it's clearly very uh, very uh, important uh, for uh, long-term uh, normal neurodevelopment, and so um, so yeah, so I think a lot has been learned uh, over you know the last two or three decades, you know, since it was. Uh, first described and it's it's kind of exciting i feel like you know being part of this uh, learning process now so from what i understood what you said um uh, these girls typically girls are born normally and then they but they they lose skills they said that they lose their hand skills and lose the ability to speak have trouble walking and have these repetitive movements um do they did they just keep losing these skills? And I mean, you said that they develop other problems. Um, do they regain skills? Yeah, and so that's what is uh, is you know we've learned is quite uh, fascinating about the story is that it is not it is not a uh, a persistent loss, and so there is a stabilization. And so there was a time, you know, where it was actually you know a lot of people thought of it as a neurodegenerative disorder, and that children kept losing the skills and it was almost um, like kind of the, uh, a leukodystrophy sort of thing where, you know, you just kept regressing until, um, you know, until you were severely incapacitated and then uh, passed away. Um, but, you know, as, as, as people learned more about it and studied it more, you know, we, it was clear that it was not like that. And there was a, a, a sort of a, a nadir that happened, you know, there was a, a, a stabilization of that loss, and in fact, um, a lot of girls do uh, are able to um, 
uh, regain some of the skills. It's, you know, it's rare that would ever uh, achieve normality again, but they, they can, they can recover some skills. And, um, and what we have found is that uh, uh, with the proper medical care, um, and attention to some of the medical comorbidities that that uh, a lot of these girls, you know, face uh, that they can live long and uh, and um, and and um, uh, full lives. Well, so do, you say they regain? Do they? I mean, uh, do they they lose things and they totally regain them, or do they get a little bit back but still have marked impairments in some of these? Skills? Yeah, I, you know, I think it it, it would be uh, unheard of. To regain back to normal, but and so it, it's it's more, you know. I think it's 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 all relative, and um, that it is uh, it's 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 not so much of a uh, um, overwhelming uh, restoration of function. But um, you know, you do see some girls where they initially um, are not ambulating at a, at at you know they lose the ability to ambulate but then over time or you know periods of several years um uh many of them can't actually then attain uh, ambulatory ability it's not going to be um uh smooth and normal um but it is it can be uh, independent um and uh and you know frequently the same thing with language they will regress their uh use of uh spoken language um, but over time, uh, frequently, they uh, girls will achieve um, uh, ways of communicating uh, nonverbally and making choices with eye gaze. Or sometimes, the ones that um, have hand function, um, they can um, make choices on a choice board with with their hands. And so, um, I think that it is definitely something where over time you see. Um, you see uh, uh, functional uh, improvements. So do these people, uh, the people who have the Rett syndrome, um, tell me about the overall impact on, on their lives. Can they live by themselves? Can they do things like cook their own food and feed themselves, do stuff like that? Or do they need somebody to help them do these things? Oh yeah. So um, it, it would be, so, uh, of all the children, so with typical Rett syndrome, that would it would be uh, it would not be expected for them to be ever be able to be truly independent in terms of their functioning. So this is definitely uh, uh, one of the things that families will have to grapple with when they receive the diagnosis that you know their child will uh, always require um, some level of assistance um, into adulthood. Um, and so um, I think that's, you know, something I think important that I think as clinicians, we do need to help families with and help them understand, though, that it is it is a lifelong disorder. And so to, to be able to plan for the future, that is something they'll need to think about. So it, like you said, as is lifelong and, and these people potentially live well into adulthood, um, but they really need help with the, most of their activities of daily living, their normal things. So this sounds like it potentially is a big impact on um, the caregivers and the families and stuff. Would you say that's true? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely true. I think uh, it's, a, it's a huge impact. And, um, and so again, I think that I think it's a it's an important role we play. I think as 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 um, um, clinicians 
who uh, are experienced with the disorder to help families understand that and help them cope with that that impact and um, and but but what's interesting though is and it's you know what to me is 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 why it's such a privilege to be part of these families is how much how resilient families frequently are um, you know I think they are it frequently is, is difficult when they first get the diagnosis but then um, once they realize the the support network that's in place with the patient advocacy groups and you know with with uh, um, uh, with uh, multidisciplinary clinics available around the country that uh, they really kind of uh, rebound and they come together as families and as communities as a community and then um, and they 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 do what it takes to to make sure that uh, you know that their child has every you know possible um uh, 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 opportunities. Uh, opportunities yes thank you <laughs> to, yeah. to, to to excel to succeed what do you what do you think as a clinician and a director of the medical clinic here what do you what do you think are really the biggest unmet needs like what 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 do we need uh to help people um well have... yeah that's a that's a very important question and I think, well, I think if you ask families and you ask me, I think, I mean, I think the, the most important, I mean, I think the biggest thing probably is, is uh, something in the way of, of true disease modifying therapy. I think that's what everybody is wanting. I think that's the biggest thing. I think there's a lot of other things too, but, uh, but I think first and foremost, it's, it's that it's, you know, I think is, is, uh, is sort of the reach goal. Uh, Cause to this, yeah, I mean, to date, everything we have has all been very much symptom directed. You know, it's, you know, they don't sleep well. Well, we'll you know, start them on an anti, uh, you know, some, something for sleep, right? So melatonin or some other, you know, sleep promoting drug. Or uh, they have seizures, you know, we let's start them on an anti seizure medication. But, you know, thus far, you know, we don't have anything that has been proven to actually address kind of the core you know, the core features, core symptoms of Rett syndrome, or even the core, you know, the, the core um, pathobiology, you know, the, the, you know, the, the perturbed um, uh, neuronal signaling pathways that, uh, that, that, that are at play. And so I think it really is what that, that would ultimately be uh, the Holy Grail, you know, as it were, to be able to, to make changes at that level to have an impact. Um, <clears throat> And so, so I think that, you know, I think that's, that's, that's the biggest thing I think is the biggest need. Um, there's a lot that it's going to take to get there, of course, but. Um, yeah. So, and I remember, um, you know, and I know that, uh, you know, it, this being a genetic disorder and people have made um, animal models of this disorder and, you know, they were able to show that by restoring the gene function, even after the uh -huh. animals were clearly sick that animals could get better um, that always seemed to be very promising to me and providing a lot of sense of hope of this to what you're describing something that could be developed that might modify the ultimate course of the disease um, so I, I always thought that was a very exciting thing and it, it, you know you point out that that's kind of where we'd like to be because we really would like to um, overall improve the lives of these people and their families right Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know, seeing 
you know, the, the publication that, that uh, you know, described the reversal of symptoms, even, you know, of even, you know, well into the symptomatic phases in, in the mouse was, was very, uh, uh, you know, gave a great deal of hope at, uh, I think, clinicians and, and families and clinicians alike. And because, you know, there was a time that, you know, I thought, you know, we surely we'd have to give this in utero or something, but to, then to see that, it would the, the symptoms were reversible actually truly reversible and you know you could potentially you know we don't know we'll have to see in a trial but reverse symptoms even you know in adulthood um but uh but yeah but i think that that has given uh, provided a great deal of hope um that if we have a means of delivering this safely um to the neurons and in, in 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 a you know child's brain that you know we, we who know you know it's it, it just it could be profoundly meaningful um, you know, to the child and the family. Well, with that, let's uh, talk a little bit about then this um, recent report uh, about this clinical trial um, of a drug, trifinitide, a lavender trial in people with Rett syndrome. And I know you were involved with that. Um, can you just tell us, uh, you know, at a really high level, what, uh, what kind of things were reported uh, that were seen in this trial? Yeah, so you know, this was a, a phase three, you know, randomized controlled trial uh, looking at trifinitide, and um, they the, the 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 top line results basically, you know, there were a couple different um, uh, outcome measures that they were looking at. One was clinician rated uh, that you know that we assessed in clinic as as uh, it, it, it visits, and then another one was you know a, a parent reported measure and. Um, and they, they saw positive uh, uh, results for, for both those. And, and so I think, uh, I think we'll still need to, I'll, I'll be, and so it was, it was exciting, you know, don't get me wrong. I was, I, you know, I, you know it, it gives hope that, uh, you know, we finally have something uh, that would, you know, potentially be beneficial that was, you know, specifically um, developed for um, Rett syndrome. Um, but, so when you uh, say it's a phase three trial, um, you know, for our listeners, can you just sort of give it again, what does that mean in terms of, um, you know, where it is in terms of it being a, a drug that people uh -huh. could actually have their doctors give their children? Um, yeah, so, so kind of, so phase three, right, is really the, the that phase of, of drug development where you're really trying to ask this question of, is this efficacious for this, you know, patient population. And um, it's very often, you know, that is just, that's one step removed from filing for um, uh, FDA approval in the United States. Uh, and so, um, but de depending on the timeline, you know, it could be anywhere from a year or two after you finish the phase three trial to get approval. Um, but it, it is oftentimes the next step. You know, sometimes, you know, the FDA uh, looks at the, you know, at, at the results and they may ask for another, you know, study to be done, um, uh, similarly designed, but, uh, um, but yeah, but it is oftentimes, you know, one step, one step removed. And so, uh, so it, that, that uh, sounds promising then if they, um, met these goals, uh, that, you know, they're at least at, um, a point of talking to the FDA to see if this potentially could be approved uh, for use in people with Rett syndrome. Is that that's, that's what I'm understanding you're saying? Yeah, I think yeah, exactly. I think it's it is uh, it does sound very promising, and I think we're all 
you know, hopeful, but, uh, you know, again, we'll have to, we'll see what the, the, the final um, uh, data analysis looks like. And uh, we're all, you know, eagerly awaiting, um, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the outcome of the, uh, of the analysis. Yeah. And so what do, what do you think? I mean, obviously, um, you know, uh, something like this uh, for Rett syndrome and this specific treatment, you know, might uh, ultimately be um, a, a treatment that people can use in the clinic. But beyond just that's the specific, what, what what's your feeling about the, this phase three trial, not specifically for trafinitide, but for treatment trials in Rett syndrome or, or even other neurodevelopmental disorders like fragile X syndrome or down syndrome or other uh, genetic neurodevelopmental disorders well i mean I, I again i think this is this particular trial is 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 exciting from the perspective i think it'll be the first one the first drug for a neurodevelopmental disorder you know developed specifically for a certain neurodevelopmental disorder to show um benefit if it ends up being case that, uh, and so I think it again, I think it overall for uh, neurodevelopmental disorders, I think it gives hope that you know that that it is uh, it's a, it's a it's a feasible kind of thing, and it maybe it could serve as a model for how to do um, these sort of trials in the future, and um, and I think I think part of it is I think there were it was it was uh, it was it was designed in such a way, I, I feel like that it implemented, you know, appropriate uh, outcome measures. I mean, it's the best we have at the time, but I think that's, I think that's a big part of, right? I think um, drug development and drug trials for a lot of these rare disorders is having the right kind of outcome measures to make sure that they're reliable and actually measuring, you know, uh, what you think you're supposed to be measuring. And, and I, I feel like we had that in this, in this trial. Yeah, so so I think well, you know, you know, maybe what I'm hearing is that uh, you know, for for all these for a lot of disorders that people, um, you know, maybe have been like you said, just uh, treating symptomatically. That you know, maybe there's opportunity uh, for these other neurodevelopmental disorders to also achieve success uh, in a phase three trial that might ultimately lead to an approval of some sort of treatment. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, from my perspective, it seems like um, a lot of families uh, may have felt like there's not much hope if they have been given this diagnosis, a diagnosis of a neuro mm -hmm. disorder, in this case, Rett syndrome. Um, but, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, these kind of things can advance and we can see um, there being hope and being things that might have meaningful impact uh, to improve these people's lives over long term. Is that is that how you kind of take that take this away? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. Um, I think it, it, it's 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 you know pretty it's you know inspiring to be kind of you know in the center you know all of all of this and to have you know Rett syndrome be sort of this the, 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 kind of the mo the model disease that that gives everybody else hope, but. But definitely, um, I think that the fact that, you know, we're seeing what we've seen so far, you know, from the lavender trial, I think it should, it should give uh, all other disorders out there um, that, that uh, and the families, uh, you know, patients with those disorders um, uh, hope that, uh, you know, with, 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 as 
as uh, you know, as as we learn more about other disorders, that that there be no reason why uh, you know they they cannot eventually see the same uh, kind of outcomes with you know with with appropriately designed uh, uh, therapies. Yeah, so not necessarily with using trifinitide for all this, right. but yes, just no, finding you know, some yeah. sort of treatment and then testing it in a in a way that you know shows benefit, uh, yeah. and then hopefully it'll be meaningful benefit and make great differences. Um, yeah, no, it's a very exciting uh, you know uh, time um, to understand these disorders uh, better and to really try to. Um, really come up with ideas that we can make impactful changes on on these uh, the lives of these affected individuals and, and their families. That, you know, it's really been great talking with you, Carrie. Um, is there anything else uh, you'd like to say in closing? Um, I, no, I think I just really appreciate you having me on, uh, Jeff. And uh, it's, uh, again, a, a privilege to to be a part of this, uh, the Rett syndrome community, and it was it was uh, you know uh, great uh, uh, working on this this trial, um, and I look forward to uh, you know big discoveries in the future. Yeah, well, thank you, and thank you for all you do for uh, uh, people with these developmental disabilities and their families. Have a great day. Thank you, Jeff. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Promise of Discovery. Be sure to visit the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center website at vkc.vumc.org to learn more about today's episode. And tune in next time for more on the innovative research and intellectual and developmental disabilities from the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center.